Getting close to the weekend, folks. A pleasant good Thursday evening and welcome back into the MI6 Sports Network for another edition of Wild Sports Talk. A little bit later in the evening on this Thursday, June 24th, 2021. As usual, folks, joined alongside by John Alcorn and our good man Isaiah Leung back in the Bay Area from his vacation to Texas. Yours truly, Cal McClurg from the home studios here in San Diego. John, as always, man, thanks for uh, hanging around and joining us tonight, man. How are we doing tonight? I was doing well. So I got home and probably saw one of the worst movies in the Fast and Furious series. I mean, Fast and Furious 9 was the worst of them all. So don't waste your money. And so I go home. Movie wasn't bad, but it was still corny. It was terrible. So we come home. I check my phone. I nearly wanted to throw my phone in the trash can. So we're still processing this bull, this bull shard right now. And uh, I was wondering if... Uh, the, the Cavs organization is run by a bunch of clowns because that's what they're doing right now. Uh, we'll dive into that, folks, and plenty of the other big sports news in a moment. But, of course, Isaiah LeYoung back with us from the Bay Area. But, of course, with Internet problems plaguing him, he's joining us from a local community college tonight on the program. Isaiah, uh, glad to have you back aboard, man, on the program. How we doing, man? And welcome back. Oh, Callan, John, great to be back on the show, man. Hey, you know, at MI6, Regardless if we're having technology issues or if we're having other issues or anything like that, we always try our best to try to put out a show for you guys, the fans. It's like what they say at the post office, you know, rain, uh, wind or snow doesn't matter. Your mail will get delivered. So that's what I'm doing, why I'm doing it here at the Ohlone Community College in Fremont. But had a great vacation. You know, actually, it was a crazy vacation. It was great as well. The brisket in Texas is no match. It's amazing. It was like eating something from heaven. Uh, I really wanted to get like six or seven slabs sent back to the Bay Area, but, you know, it would not turn out to be good. But yeah, I went to the Astros uh, State. Stadium, you know, bought myself an Astros jersey, did something that, you know, I'm totally ashamed of. Um, and then I went to the new Rangers ball ballpark, Globe Life Field, great ballpark. It is totally worth the hype. I really recommend all of you guys to go out there and check it out. And I also met uh, the legendary Mark McLemore, who used to play for the Rangers, local San Diego product. He was there. Um, I took a picture with him. You guys can check it out. All Check all that out on my Facebook timeline. And uh, Cal and John, you guys know how I always wear, you know, my black glasses onto the program. Well, the reason why I'm not wearing it now is because I accidentally left them in Dallas. So I got to get a new pair after just nine months. So I told you guys, it was a great trip, but it was crazy as well. 
that was the crazy part. But hey, at least I made it back home safely from the Lone Star State. And of course, folks, we'll take your input throughout the course of the evening, your questions, your comments, your concerns, your hot takes, your cold takes in the live chat box. And also, folks, be sure to keep listening on the Anchor Podcast app. We are, uh, folks, at 495 listens away now from the elusive 5,000 mark. So again, keep listening away, folks. Find the podcast via Apple, Spotify, or on your podcast app today. One quick shout out, of course, to our good man, Casey King, who, of course, is tuning in and joining us. Of course, Case Getting Man, and we thank you, as always, for joining us here on all of our MI6 uh, Sports Network programs. Uh, with that, guys, over to the NBA and into game number three, Western Conference Finals, Suns and Clippers doing battle tonight from Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles. The Suns uh, can't go up 3-0. The Clippers fight back, punch back, win this game 106-92 to, uh, to at least get one game back as the Suns now leave the series two games to one over the Clippers and John, as I have said, though, man, so many times, though, is that this Clippers ball club, man, they don't go away. That's why I said, though, that I was still going to ride with with the Clippers because they were down two games to none. And like I said, though, I think either last week or on a different program with Coast to Coast, the Clippers just seem to play better when their backs are against the wall, though. But I don't know if you can keep that momentum going for a third straight series, though, of having to play from behind, though. And now, of course, home court is back in the uh, is back. Uh, with the Clippers, Cameron Payne leaves this game with an injury, but more than else, though, Paul George, I think probably, I think his maybe, just maybe, his best game of his time in the postseason came tonight, though. Again, Kawhi Leonard still saddled with that injury, uh, suffered in round two versus Utah. John, overall thoughts on this game, though, and what does this victory mean for the Clippers, who at least look to get at least tie this series up, though, come Saturday night? John, you're muted, buddy. It's exciting for the Clippers, but really, can we really trust Paul George to carry this team all the way to the finals? No. Two, the Kawhi injury is a lot more serious than we think. Because if they haven't said anything, knowing Kawhi Leonard's injury history and how long he's been out before when he was with his time with the Spurs, they know this injury, once it gets out, they already know what's going to happen in the team, the locker room, the atmosphere, the uh, brother, all that's going to be pretty much shattered downhill. It's great for the Clippers, but moving forward, can we trust Paul George doing that with uh, Tyler being the head coach? I'm not really sure how they could win this this series. So even if they did, Kawhi's not coming back, even if they make it to the finals. It's injuries a lot more serious than we realize, and we might not even find out what it is. Isaiah, I think John's on a, onto a valid point, though, that if the Clippers have been this hush, you know, hush, hush about this Leonard in, uh, injury, I don't anticipate him coming back at all in this series. And I think that this may have been like Paul George's one-off for ha for him having great games, though I have picked the Clippers in this series because of, you know, how will this team respond being down two games to none again? And they at least get one win under their belt, though. But can this momentum go on? I don't know if it can, though, because I think that Paul George can only do so much. And not having that, you know, that second star player on the floor for the Clippers might be, you know, might be doom and gloom, though. But especially with the Suns, though, with them losing Cameron Payne and them still not quite sure about Chris Paul's health. This series could be basically, you know, a knockout drag out, you know, five games, six games, seven game series. If things keep going the way it's going, though, I think that the Suns may, in fact, get that gentleman sweep, though, and win game four and then win game five back at home and close out this series. But Isaiah, your thoughts on game three? going in favor of the Clippers and maybe Paul George's one-off for his uh, best game of this postseason. 
Well, I think the reason why the Phoenix Suns lost this game was because Devin Booker and Chris Paul was terrible shooting the basketball. I think I read a stat that Devin Booker was like one for nine from downtown. Uh, he finished like three for, I believe it was like three for 13 or something like that. But him and Chris Paul, when they, when they are having like terrible shooting nights, of course the Phoenix Suns are going to lose because those two guys are the anchors of the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns go wherever Devin Booker and Chris Paul take them. And, you know, Devin Booker, you know, Trey Collis, he made a very good point tonight on Speak Out on the Coast to Coast Entertainment Network, which you guys can go and check that out, you know, right now. I believe they're live. But Trey said that Devin Booker, he always has amazing game ones. And then, you know, it seems like teams figure him out and then he starts to struggle in games two, three, and the rest of the way. And I didn't notice that until he said that. And I went back and looked at some of the stats and he's absolutely right. You know, Devin Booker against the Lakers, he put up an amazing, had an amazing game one, games two, three, and then game four, he was terrible because the Lakers figured him out. Game five, game six, he responded. Uh, same thing against the Nuggets. Game one, he was great. Then games two, game three, he struggled. Then game, uh, game four, had a great game. And then uh, in this series, you know, game one had an amazing game, 40-point triple-double. Then game two uh, didn't shoot the ball that well. I think he only finished with 20 points. And then tonight, another bad shooting night from Devin Booker. So, Devin Booker, if the Phoenix Suns want to win this series, I know the Clippers are compromised with Kawhi Leonard out, and uh, they have a couple more injuries. But if the Phoenix Suns want to win, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, they need to start shooting the basketball much better. Because if they he, if Devin Booker and Chris Paul continue to shoot the ball, especially Devin Booker, if he continues to shoot the ball the way he has in games two and game three, I think Phoenix could easily lose this series. John, I don't want to make excuses, but I know, of course, that, you know, people were kind of comparing the Devin Booker nose and face injury to Steve Nash when he was clotheslined by Rajah Bell with the Spurs back. And I want to say, oh, five, oh, six. And of course, Nash kind of played, you know, with, you know, gauze and, you know, a Q-tip stuck up his nose, essentially. And then I think and I think I read today from Fox or NBC that that D-Book reached out to Rip Hamilton, who was always known for wearing a face mask when he was playing games because of either the contact of the face or, you know, the injuries. And that I think that he, I think Trayer Adam said it right, though, on Coast to Coast, though, that maybe for some guys that when they have to, you know, put the mask on because of the face injuries, it kind of disrupts their game and they're not comfortable with having it on or it does, in fact, throw their game for a loop, though. John, not as an excuse to with that, but perhaps though with Book not ever wearing the face mask ever, could that probably have maybe hindered his game a little bit in Game Three? Do you agree, or what? What's your stance on that? I mean, it could hinder a little bit here, but here's the thing: if you give Booker a, a passer excuse, you gotta give it to LeBron or Katie when they were in the playoffs. You gotta give it to Paul George at some point. I get that, but up until that point, it's not like the Devin Booker was just shooting like twelve for twelve. He had. 35 points, he went two or three from the three, whatever. I definitely think that is a legitimate like reason, but I don't give him an excuse for, for really that at all. Because you've seen guys in the past being able to tough it out and play it out. I don't give Booker an excuse. I don't give nobody an excuse in the NBA or in the NFL. Because if you've seen other guys in the past when it was a circle league, be able to, to run it out. LeBron's done it before in the past. Other guys have done it in the past, so. I don't see why would Booker get a pass here. This isn't like 2K. You can't have an excuse. 
Yeah, again, Isaiah, I don't want to make excuses for Booker's game, though, but certainly I think that you're on to a great point as is Trey, though, about, you know, Book has a great game one, but as, you know, that off day goes on, teams get filmed, teams look at the film and look at what they uh, and look at how they adjust their sets against the Suns' offense, and maybe it's double-team Book, keep him away from the rim, don't let him get an open shot from beyond the arc. But certainly I do think, though, that while it may, again, I don't want to make excuses for D-Book, but certainly Isaiah maybe does that facial injury or does that face mask that he had to wear, though, maybe I think, in your mind, hinder his game a little bit in your mind, yay or nay? Oh, I think it did. That's why I was, like, messaging our MI6 host group chat. I was saying, Devin Booker, take that thing off because you could clearly see that Devin Booker, when he was wearing that face mask, it just seemed like he wasn't comfortable wearing that. So I think that Devin Booker, um, I don't know if it's if his nose injury is like a broken nose or not. If, if it is, then he's going to have to keep wearing it. But if it's not, then I think Devin Booker should not wear that mask because he clearly looked uncomfortable with that mask on. On, and you could see by his performance that he was uncomfortable with that mask on. We'll see if that was maybe like a, 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 a thing done by the team doctors, like, hey, just wear it for tonight. If you don't like it, don't wear it for game four. But, you know, at least keep yourself, you know, somewhat safe with wearing that thing. Uh, but again, folks, the Clippers were able to hold off the Suns and win 106-92 and get back in the series. But the Suns do lead, though, two games to one with game four coming up, though, on uh, Saturday from Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles, California. Some thoughts, guys, real quick. Christy Wilson, first time, is going to say, I still think that the Suns win the series. And she also says that I think that Leonard's injury may be worse than people think to John's point earlier, though, that, again, if it's been kind of hush, you know, kind of, you know, quiet and in hush, and uh, basically hush-hush, he's done for the remainder of the postseason. Casey further adds on, I have the Suns in seven, but the Clippers will give them a fight. But without Kawhi, I think it will catch up with them in the series. And he believes that the Suns are a little bit more of a deeper ball club as opposed to the Clippers. But I think, though, Isaiah, we'll go to you, though. But I think, though, now I have to wonder about, now, now I think you have to kind of wonder a bit, though, about this injury, though, to Cameron Payne, though, I think at the same time. Yeah, this is a huge injury to Cameron Payne. Uh, if, in fact, you know, he has to sit out either one or a couple of games in this series because Cameron Payne has been an integral part of the Phoenix Suns. You know, this guy has had a revival of a career with Monty Williams and the Phoenix Suns. He was with Oklahoma City to start his career, and he wasn't even known for basketball. He was known as a guy that was Russell Westbrook's dance partner, and I thought that, you know, he didn't really – he, he didn't really have skills to play in the NBA, and he goes overseas, plays well in China. The Phoenix Suns gives him a look, and he's been a very like integral part of the Phoenix Suns offense and also a guy that can, you know, play make and create shots for guys when uh, when Chris Paul is either out with injury or he's on the bench resting. But I want to go back, Callan, to the Kawhi Leonard injury. I think that you guys are on to a great point that – injury might be worse than what it is but I don't believe that it is a torn ACL which a lot of people speculated after Sham Sharania reported it was some type of ACL injury because I think if it was a torn ACL I think you would have known that by now because people won't keep like that type of severe injury news uh, they won't keep that from the public if it's that severe. I think I don't think it's a torn ACL, but I do agree that it might be like a maybe a partial tear that is not going to make him miss like one or two seasons, but it's going to definitely keep him out for the remainder of this postseason. 
I mean, it could be a sprained knee. It could be a sprained ACL, MCL. I mean, you know, that's been a very common theme, obviously, with injuries. But again, folks, once more, Suns faltering to the Clippers tonight, 106-92 from Staples Center. Suns, though, lead the uh, best of seven series. Two games to one with game four again coming up on Saturday from Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles. Next up, fellas, uh, from Wednesday night, a, another great game out east, the Hawks and Bucks meeting up in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals from Pfizer Form. Trey Young catches fire, goes off for 48 points. Atlanta holds off Milwaukee 116-113 from Pfizer Form in MKE, Wisconsin. John, I think that you that you said it right, though, man, that this was going to be the more entertaining series of the two Conference Final matches, man, and you were spot on bullseye with your remarks, though, again. But I also said, though, to, to uh, our good man, Loro, last night on his Instagram postgame show, though, that the, that this is basically a series of two teams led by one main superstar player, Trey Young with Atlanta and Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I think that Atlanta has a bit more notable guys or, you know, some young talent surrounding Trey Young. Plus, of course, with the Bucks, though, with Holiday and Chris Middleton surrounding Giannis. But I, I think, though, John, you're spot on, though, man. This, I think, that game one was a early indication that this will be the better series to watch because I think, though, it's two, you know, young, exciting teams led by two great superstars that are just coming into their, into their, into the prime of their careers, though, with both Trey Young and with Giannis and things like that. And, of course, at the Hawks steal, uh, steal game one. But more so, though, John, overall takeaways from game one, though, and what does that mean, though, for game two coming up on Friday from Cream City, USA? <laughs> It's not necessarily because of how, how stacked they are. It's really because you, it's nice to see it change of pace. And I can't remember the last time. I, this is why I say this is more entertaining series. Not because, oh, oh my gosh, look how great some of the players are. They got phenomenal players. But I can't remember the last time. And I guess you talked about NBA history many times before and after the show. The last time the Hawks were truly competing for an NBA championship. It wasn't in my lifetime. And I'm not sure if it was in my parents' lifetime other pants before that. So to see different teams actually truly competing for once instead of other, either it was the Lakers or the Cavs or it was for a couple of years or it was Golden State or it was New York back in the day, seeing a bunch of different teams that necessarily are not big market teams competing for the championship, that's something you don't see very often. So getting to see that, you may not see that next year. We may not see that the year after. If we see a potential small market team win it all this year, if you're not going to see this for the next one to two to three to four to five to six, seven years. This is probably a one-year rental of having small teams, but you don't know if they're going to compete next year. The Hawks, yes, they're stagged. Yes, Trey Young is young. We know he's injury and swagger and it's just as a shooter. But how long can that last? But for me, it's more exciting just because a lot of these teams that are not as interesting, according to the media per se, are getting a chance to compete for a championship. And I say, hey, don't give me that look about Texas. You have some of the dumbest basketball takes and sport takes of all time. Isaiah, I want to address John's point about the small market syndrome momentarily because I have some very strong feelings about that and what, of course, went down on ESPN's first take on, on Wednesday morning. I'll get to that a bit later. But Isaiah, John's right, though, and I think for historical purposes, you have to go back to the 1951 St. Louis Hawks. For the last time that the Hawks won the NBA championship, you have to go back to 71 when the Bucks, led by Kareem and Oscar Robinson, won their only title in franchise history. So, I mean, you're looking at, like I said, though, guys, two teams out West looking for their first title ever in franchise history and two teams out East trying to break a 40 to 50 year drought of not winning a championship. And I think that, you know, to John's point, though, again, the uh, Hawks were in St. Louis 
last time they won the championship. And of course, the Bucks last had Kareem and Oscar Robinson uh, in 71. But Isaiah, I do think that John's right, though. This is the more entertaining series, though, between Young and Giannis. Again, two you know, young stars, though, duking it out, though. I think more importantly, though, for Atlanta, who really out there saw this team going that far? I think that Trey had a very great point, though. They beat the Knicks. I mean, I, I, know they, I mean, they played the Knicks and stuff like that. Then, of course, they were able to take down Philadelphia. But nobody saw the Clippers being here. Nobody saw the Suns being here. No one even saw Atlanta being here. And everyone, basically minus me, wrote off the box basically in round one or round two, though. But like I said, though, Isaiah, refreshing for sports fans to see some new blood in the uh, postseason. But more so, Isaiah, back to the point, though. Your thoughts on game one as Atlanta holds off Milwaukee and at least uh, nabs one game on the road from Pfizer form on Wednesday. Callan, John, I think this this might be a historical moment in the history of the MI6 Sports Network because, you know, and you might want to put that, you know, three-way screen on, uh, Callan, but I, I typically never come on here and admit when I'm wrong about, you know, certain players or certain teams or certain takes, but... <sighs> I, I was wrong about Trey Young and the Hawks. I, I was wrong. You know, I I had said for for many days, weeks, months that Shri, I was telling Shree this that you know the Hawks they should just they should just adopt the Celtics mascot. You know, Lucky. Right? They should just adopt Lucky and paint it red and yellow, and that's that be their mascot because they're such a lucky, lucky, lucky ball club. But after what I watched yesterday. I hate to admit this, but the Hawks are for real, man. The, 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 the Hawks are for real. Man, I can't even get it out of my mouth. But the Atlanta Hawks are for real. I'm sorry for doubting the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young is the real deal. He's not no gadget player, no fluke that I have been talking about. This guy is the real deal. And, you know, Callan, John, Yesterday was all about the brilliance of Trey Young. This guy put up 48 points, had 11 assists. He had 30 points uh, in the first half. He was tremendous in this ball game, and it was all about him. You know, he had so many like step back, fadeaway threes, uh, stuff that like Steph Curry can only do in the NBA. I seriously thought I was watching Stephen Curry's clone out there on the floor because Trey Young was literally doing things that only Stephen Curry uh, does for the Golden State Warriors on the basketball court. But Trey Young was magnificent. Um, and the other guys, uh, they chipped in as well. Clint Capella, 12 points, 19 rebounds. He was an absolute monster on the glass. You know, John Collins, 23 points, 15 rebounds, showing everybody why he's such an underrated force down low next to Capella. Danilo Gallinari, nine points. He had some big triples down the stretch in this ball game, but this was all about Trey Young, man. This was the Trey Young show, and I hate to admit this, Callan John, but I was wrong about the Hawks. I was wrong about Trey Young, and they're for real. They are a for real team, and Trey Young, he might be better than Devin Booker. I'll admit that. I'm flabbergasted that I, that actually said. Did I just have massive diarrhea three times? I'm pretty sure I'm dreaming here. Like, it was, what, Isaiah admitted he was wrong. Really, like that that is better than the coldest beer or the best Starbucks coffee or the best coldest root beer in a mug. Isaiah saying he was wrong. 
I just can't believe, Callan, what we all heard. Screw Michael Jordan's six ring and screw LeBron's four ring. Screw the 11 championships back in the day. Screw all of that. Screw Beatty's ring for this topic right here. Isaiah Bomino said that he was wrong. I can't believe that he said that. I believe hell has frozen over. I might be wrong about that. A couple of thoughts, though, guys, about this game. Uh, Casey first says, I actually had the Bucks in the conference finals, but was wrong on the other three. Uh, Christy Wilson says, Isaiah admitting he's wrong. Mine blown. Mine blown. Emojis. And Casey King also says, I love seeing new teams like the Suns and Hawks in the conference finals. And again, Case, and, you know, and John and Isaiah, you know, I don't say a whole lot on these programs. I really don't speak my mind a lot on these programs, but I really, I really have to this time around here because I was absolutely appalled at the utter disrespect given by Molly Curum, Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman on first take on Wednesday morning, John, for, for how they just blatantly disrespected the wonderful cities of Phoenix, Arizona and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was so out of control, John, that literally the Bucks, I believe the Bucks team president and the president of Pfizer Form released a lengthy like letter on Instagram, basically, you know, inviting them out to the city, but also, you know, backing up with, you know, hey, more people are moving to this part of the country and we have this, we have that. And John, I think this has been a very unfair narrative that has been painted on certain sports cities or cities in general that probably get, for example, the bad rap because, oh, you only have one team or you have this team or, you know, your team is known as being, you know, you know, notorious for losing and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I really have to say this, though, is why do we have to paint this narrative at some of these cities, though? Like, for example, just for example, like San Diego, they're not allowed to celebrate their team being great for the first time since JFK was in office or in Phoenix's case or in Milwaukee's case, or even in Isaiah's case up in Oakland, where literally you have seen teams leave. You have seen teams relocate. You have seen fans, obviously, not come to games and things like that. But why all of a sudden when these teams do get good, like the Padres, like the Bucks, like the Suns, you not only disrespect the teams, I can get the disrespect, I can get, I can, dis I can totally get the disrespect maybe to the teams, like picking against them or saying, I don't think that they're going to win though. But you don't, alienate an entire city, an entire metropolitan area for being a bad sports town because now all of a sudden that people are coming back to pottery games or going to see the Suns play. What, what else do we have to do here? You know, what else do we have to do to be able to earn respect? And I know, of course, that ESPN is always talking about, you know, the Yankees or the Celtics or the Lakers. And, and that's why I think, though, guys, that this NBA postseason – has been probably the best one to watch in recent memory in my mind. And why I think that viewership is going to go up this year, because you have fresh blood. As I said, though, guys, about 10 minutes ago, you literally have four teams vying for their first title. Two teams either vying for the first one ever in franchise history or the first one since 1971 or 1951. But why is there this, you know, I think, you know, stupid, utterly ignorant narrative that when teams like Milwaukee, teams like San Diego or Phoenix, when the teams are finally good after years of, you know, putting their fans through the meat grinder of losing seasons and ownership changes and firing coaches and managers or losing organizations because, you know, city politics 
and the teams can't agree on something about a stadium. Why is it that we can't celebrate our teams finally doing something right? You know, why is there always, you know, this narrative of, you know, act like you've been there before or, you know, hey, be quiet. You want a game, big deal. Act like you've been there before. Why can't Milwaukee? Why can't Phoenix? Why can't San Diego? Why can't these three markets in my mind actually have some city pride? Again, the San Diego's not won a championship. Baseball, basketball, football, hockey, you know, stuff like that. Since John F. Kennedy was president when the Chargers beat Boston in the 63 championship game in the AFL, the Suns, you know, Phoenix hasn't won anything since the D-backs in 2001. Of course, the Mercury have won three WNBA titles. The Rattlers have won five or six AFL championships. The Bucks are the only team who's won anything in Milwaukee since 71. The Brewers have been close. The Padres have been close. The Suns have been close. But, you know, bigger and better ball clubs. But, John, I, I just, I was very appalled and very taken back. And it, it, this has actually been, been brewing, in, you know, this has been brewing with me for the latter part of a year of seeing the disrespect shown mainly towards the Padres last season because of the antics and how they played the game. And mainly from Dodger fans, sadly, and, and, and from other sports fans and, and things like that. And I don't want to single out, you know, our Dodger, you know, uh, friends and, you know, friends out there who are watching the program. But John and Isaiah, I just don't get why all of a sudden that when, you know, long-suffering sports fans like San Diego or Cleveland, Milwaukee or Phoenix, when their teams are finally great and you've been sticking by this franchise or by your teams for your whole life and you've been, you know, used to losing season after losing season, you know, ownership changes, you know, maybe your teams move out because of, you know, of, of whatever they believe in or that they can't get a stadium done is why do these so-called experts, you know, whose viewership is going down by the wayside every passing day feel the need to, you know, to just absolutely you know, kick a town like Milwaukee or kick a town like Phoenix right in the gut because now all of a sudden we're great or we're good, but oh, don't celebrate. You know, you're not allowed to. You're not LA. You're not New York. You're not Chicago. You're not Miami. You know, you're not Houston. You're not Dallas. You're not Seattle. You know, don't even bother. You know, just be quiet. Enjoy the time and don't say a word and don't go crazy if your team wins the championship. So, so John, I don't get it. I thought it was great that the Bucks clapped back at ESPN and, 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 and to Molly Kiram and to all the uh, cast and crew. Uh, first take, but I I just don't get the disrespect shown, you know, to the Bucks fan base, the Suns fan base, the Padre fan base, because now all of a sudden we're great. But it's like, oh hey, keep your mouth shut, don't say a word. John, what do you think? What do you have to say about this? I have a similar kind of ring here. ESPN, Molly, Stephen A. Smith, and Master Cannon should all be ashamed. We already know Molly is one of the terrible hosts because she always interrupts Stephen A. Smith or Max Kellerman. That's just the bottom line, the worst host in sports history. Again, JD Tackles when I want job Fox Sports. But here's the thing. This is why I get frustrated. Well, not with all media people. Again, there's great like people on Great Friendly, like Brian Friendly, indeed, they do a phenomenal job. But like certain people that have this ridiculous bias. Oh, if you're not this team, you can't celebrate. In Casey, I, I, I have to address this comment here. I think Callan saw this too. ESPN Media, for the most part, are a bunch of idiots. There's a few that I know they're great, but mo but a lot of them, again, the ones that I know, they're doing a phenomenal job. I agree. Here's the thing. And here's the thing, Christy, before I know we're going off a tangent here, but I think Callan, like, this is really important that people like really need to understand. I haven't watched first taking years since Gabe Bayless left. Regardless of how you think Gabe Bayless is crazy with his takes, yes, I know. 
but at least he believes in what he says. And that between him and Stephen A. Smith and back with Kerry Chapin back in the day, that was prime first day. The point is going back to this is just that I don't understand the pure disrespect. It's like when one team, oh, they, oh, it's like, oh, it's LeBron, oh, if KD or anybody else starts celebrating, that we don't have a problem. This is why, Callan, and I was reading the like, is that I have a problem with a lot of media people. And this is why I would rather be independent than work at ESPN or certain or certain companies, just because I can't stand to be a hypocrite. You know, like of course, like seeing this bit Mexican, so it's okay not to celebrate. It doesn't matter. Even if I hate the Chiefs, even if I hate the Chargers, which I do because I'm a Broncos. Even if I hate the Raiders or hate the whatever team, you won a game. What has been a long time since you won anything? Every team has the right to celebrate. Every team has a right to celebrate, even if it's a touchdown, a game-winning field goal, a chance to compete for a championship. WNBA, NBA, NFL, any baseball, any soccer or whatever other sport, indoor football, I don't care. You have a right to celebrate. How can y'all at ESPN, Molly? Again, I've never liked she. She, I don't know how Jalen Rose puts up with her at all. She interrupts him every single time. But back to that is, I don't understand how you think, oh, it's these teams. We don't like them so that they don't have a right to celebrate. This is why I would, I can't ever be biased. Except for, of course, one topic. I don't understand. Who cares if you're a small team? It's great to see a small team compete for a championship. Even though I love my Cavs no matter what, and they may potentially disown them if they make a certain move. The notion is that if you're like, there's so this is why I don't like the media, a lot of them, because if you're not, it's just three teams, it's a count, like your Celtics, and maybe one other team. If you're not three of those teams, you can't celebrate. How does that make any sense? That's like back in the day when we were in school, there's, you know, there's always teachers. I had those teachers too, count who had their favorite students. It was either two or three of them. That's what it's like with the media members, with the Lakers. Or the Celtics, and these other teams. I just don't understand the pure, utter disrespect, and that's just being nice about it. How it's the Hawks or it's the Bucks? Yes, I don't like the Bucks. I think Giannis is overrated, but they have a right to celebrate. Like, what do you have or to gain, Molly, or Stephen, or Max, or ESPN as a whole, to criticize? A team for celebrating. Do you are you like you're basically the Grinch of sports? That's basically what you're doing, John. You're, John, it's not just the disrespect shown towards you know the the team; it's the fact they threw the entire city. You know these you know exactly. these large metro areas like Phoenix, the state capital of Arizona, and they threw Milwaukee. You know the biggest town known for you know for for beer. They're throwing not just the teams, but the entire city and the hardworking people exactly. of those two towns under the bus. That's what that's what more so ir uh, irritates mm -hmm. me than anything else. The middle finger to the fans, the people, the workers, the parents of the players, everybody. Cal basically completely addressed that point. 
Like, how do you disrespect a team? I understand, like, I hope the Chiefs go 0-17 every single year. But if they earn that win against my team or a team in the playoffs, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, I'm happy for you won. You deserve to celebrate. So if you want to be a bunch of flipping Higgins right now, I, again, not everybody ESPN and Fox Sports. We're just talking about Stephen A. Smith, Max, and Molly. How can you just disrespect? It's like you don't have any feelings. Because it's like you don't care who you hurt. This is, I understand, oh, it's like, oh, it's just sports. Oh, we're just disrespecting a team. Yada. No. Like, council, it's a city, it's a team, it's a people, the fans, the people make that city, the fans of the people make that team, the fans of the people that go up to the games now. Like, whatever capacity it is for each city, for each team. Can we talk about hard work? We've all worked very hard for something, and we celebrate. Imagine somebody pooping on that for you, Callan, or for Isaiah, or for myself, or Stephen, or sure anybody else. How do we look at that? And this is the problem is, this is this is why I get also for certain media. Yeah, uh, Milwaukee, they also address that. But after that day or two, who else is talking about it? And that's the problem I have with a lot of the beginning. Not, uh, me certain media people is that oh it's off for a day or two and then it's off to the next topic this is not just a thing oh you hurt my feelings i'll move on this is not like a, a uh, kevin duran bashing off against uh, michael Rappaport or somebody else on twitter you insult the people well first of all when you insult the team you insult the faculty members you insult the city their kids the workers that make this team run it's not just a team on the court it's just multiple facets of an organization, multiple facets with a company, make a company run, make an organization run, make a team run as a team, and how to facilitate. It just blows my mind, Callan, how, like, to them, this is no big deal. Because look, look at this, uh, Stephen Smith, look, like, let's put us all, all three of us here, or, or if Isaiah's in the background. Imagine if this was Green Bay or the Steelers. They would have a whole hissy fit. But since it's teams that they don't like, it's okay. And I gotta say, I don't know if you heard what I was just saying. It's like, imagine, like, we like we all talk about hard work. Count, like, my counseling accomplished really big. Again, like, he has his career. And he worked so hard, he finally get that. Somebody crapped on him. How would you feel? If you go to Isaiah, I'd say, you finally get that job in the industry, and somebody craps on it. Or for myself or somebody else. And I also, I don't know if you heard this, I don't want to go back to Count. Sorry, this just makes me so mad. That we, we went back to school in high school. You know, there was that one or two teachers that had that favorite student or two. I know I had a teacher in like that in tenth grade. They favored the uh, some of the people on the cheerleading and football team. You, they have their favorites. That's just one of those teachers. It's like the parent who won't admit it on the TV show, but they have their favorites. That's what we're doing. We talk about the biased media and like, oh, we don't understand. Well, folks, this is the perfect example. This is the perfect example. This is the perfect notion here. I just boils my blood hotter than the Arizona sun. How they think this is okay. It's okay. You can crap out my Broncos all day. I can handle that. But this is one I say it's bigger than sports count. It's not just about the team. It's the people that, that clean the seats. It's the people in the seat that come to the games. Especially during the pandemic or whatever the capacity is for, for whatever city. It boils my blood. But this final part I'll say here, I know it's been a long rant for Cal and I. 
ESPN, or specifically just Molly, Stephen Smith, Max Kellman. You should be ashamed because if you hear us disrespecting Aaron Rodgers, a bad man, or the Steelers, or another team, it's okay. But if Tom Brady or somebody else celebrates, it's okay. So all I got to ask you all, certain people in the media, when is it okay to celebrate? That's it. Isaiah, you know very well, you and I both know, Ryan knows, you know, we are small market cities, San Diego, Oakland, Cleveland, of course, and things like that. And maybe for once in, in, in my 27 years of living on this earth, my hometown Padres have maybe finally turned a corner after, you know, years of 100 lost seasons and changing uniforms every five years, like as often as I change my socks in the morning or change my shorts, and that they finally get, you know, good like it was last season. But all these armchair media members or ESPN or the national news is saying, oh, hey, San Diego, you know, great story. Just shut up. We, no one cares about San Diego. It's all about the Dodgers. It's all about the Yankees and the Astros and, you know, and, and teams like that. Or in this case, again, Isaiah, like I said, though, it's one thing that the, that you can, you know, obviously say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pick Milwaukee or pick, you know, I'm picking, you know, or, or, you know, it's one thing to do that. But you cross a line when you just totally insult and act extremely arrogant and ignorant and throw two entire cities two entire metropolitan areas in Phoenix and in Milwaukee right under the bus because they're playing, you know, big, bad LA or they're playing Atlanta. I know that they, they that they've had a very, you know, similar tortured history, uh, you know, with, with sports franchises down in Atlanta, but still it's a major market, you know, for the Braves and for the Falcons. And, you know, they're one of the very few cities who has a team minus the NHL in every Mer in, in every North American sports league. And, and, you know, and, and again, I say, I know that, of course, that, you know, that we needle you because, you know, uh, about you always talking about the A's, though. But again, small market cities, though, man, deserve the right to feel good about their teams. I know, of course, it's been, you know, torture up in Oakland because with the, the Warriors leaving for San Francisco, the Raiders going to Las Vegas. And, of course, the A's are kind of, you know, up in the air right now because of the Coliseum issues and the ballpark project. And maybe they go to Vegas and join the Raiders and the Golden Knights and the Aces and stuff like that, though. But again, Isaiah, I don't get this narrative, you know, from the national media, certain local media markets, you know, armchair media members who say, hey, great, Oakland. Hey, great, San Diego. You're having a great year. Just be quiet. No one cares about how great the Padres or Rays are doing or, hey, Milwaukee. Hey, Phoenix. You know, you're a great city, but no one literally cares. It's all about, the, you know, it's all about L.A. and all about Atlanta. Isaiah, I mean, you know, I, I think I've said my piece plenty of times, though, but obviously, you know, you being a fellow small market, uh, you know, sports fan up in the Bay Area. You know, what What was your thoughts more so about hearing that come out, though? And, you know, did that kind of in a way to, like, strike a chord with you? Like, you know, if you're going to disrespect Phoenix and Milwaukee, you know, what about Oakland? What about San Diego? You know, we're, we're about, you know what about your thoughts, though, about hearing, you know, that very, very appalling take made by ESPN on Wednesday morning? Well, Cal and John, it just made me appreciate our MI6 Sports Network even more. You know, when uh, Adam Barber first came on our MI6 Sports Network and he asked me just to tell him about our network, the one thing I told him about our network that makes us different from the ESPNs of the world, the Fox Sports of the world, the CBS Sports of the world, is that we're not always just going to talk about, you know, the Lakers, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the 
Patriots, um, and all these big market teams, you know, like some of these big time media outlets do. Like they always just constantly talk about these, you know, the Dodgers and the Yankees when it comes to baseball, the uh, the Lakers, the Celtics, when it comes to uh, basketball, and then football, it's the Patriots, you know, the Chiefs sometimes, and the Dallas Cowboys. I told you know, Adam, I was like, you know, we're not going to do that. We are, what separates us is that we talk about a lot of these small market teams, like the Cleveland Cavaliers, like we're doing tonight, or the Phoenix Suns, like we talk about a lot, you know, or, you know, the A's or San Diego or some of these small market teams, we give them the attention that they deserve. Heck, we even talked about the Detroit Pistons one time on our show and, you know, that's that's what really makes us unique and it just gives me more of an appreciation for our network because I, I like you Callum like you John I was truly appalled by I was truly appalled by what Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman, and Molly Karam had to say and throwing these cities under the bus. You know, it really is just so frustrating because I, I expect it from them now because I've watched, you know, these big time media outlets and their shows a lot. So I, 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 like, I wasn't surprised that they said what they said because they don't care about, you know, these small market cities. Heck, I was watching the A's Yankees game on TBS uh, last week, and you, if you hadn't known that it was from TBS, you would have thought you were watching it from the Yankees uh, network because they were literally talking about the New York Yankees literally every single time one of the commentators opened their mouth. They might have said – the only time they probably said the A's – was probably when they opened the game, the intro, and when they talked about the A's starting lineup. That's That was it. So it, it's just so disrespectful. It's so frustrating. I feel so bad for some of these uh, small market um, cities and also the players like Devin Booker, Trey Young, some of these players that are superstars in these small markets that just don't get the shine that they deserve because they are in the small markets and Many people don't know about them. So it's it's sad. It's frustrating. It's appalling. It's disappointing. But, you know, I I expect it from ESPN and Fox now because I've watched a ton of their stuff the last you know couple of years. John, like I've said, though, and I don't want to go too much further in depth, but this has been a very productive seminar to let all of us air out, air out our grievances here, though. Is that again? I get the fact that you can say I'm not going to, you know, pick Milwaukee or the, or the Suns to win, though but you don't throw the entire city under the bus. I mean, you don't disrespect the hardworking people of San Diego, you know, the blue collar town that is Milwaukee or the Valley of the Sun. I mean, it's one thing to pick against those organizations, but you don't throw working class individuals like me, like yourself, like Isaiah, like Shri, like Ryan, you know, you don't throw people, you know, that just, you know, enjoy, you know, enjoy the fact that their teams are doing great. You don't throw all of us and the whole population of that city under the bus. That's what more so I think is really infuriated me over the past 24 hours. Definitely couldn't agree more. It just makes me wonder. Like, and I want to talk about something on the target point here is that when we talk about sports, we love the antics. We, we praise Baker. Again, I have, I'm a Baker fan, so I'm not criticizing him at all, but you talk about Baker, people not necessarily having an issue with Baker Mayfield at all. Nobody else had a problem at all. 
Sports is supposed to bring people together. Having fun. This isn't taking a star test back in the day. We had to sit there, shut up, don't fart, don't burp, don't pee your pants, don't do anything. This is sports. It's supposed to be fun. When you get a home run, when you get a single, triple, double, and a clutch, a game-winning driver, game-winning inning, or whatever the point is. I just don't understand. Like, sports is supposed to be fun. Kind of like you do, like you you work in the industry, you've seen a lot of exciting moments. And in the automatic reaction, it should be, let's celebrate. Let's make this fun. Because when you celebrate with your team, you create that continued brotherhood and the chemistry. And you don't have that. You have what the Cowboys had last season. Within, and I say this a lot because it's very important. If you have the chemistry, if you celebrate it, regardless if you all won the championship or went 4-12, and 12, look what happened. That's just not just an example in the NFL, MLB, WNBA, every single sport. That is fun to celebrate. Why would anybody criticize a team for celebrating, regardless if they've won anything ever, and they finally have an opportunity to win? San Diego Parties, I salute y'all for celebrating. I don't have a baseball team. I don't know who to pick. But I still do, without a doubt, for wanting to celebrate. I mean, my gosh, when you're that miserable, it's like getting out of that relationship with that girl where she, oh, she may be tried it, but she's annoying, she's abused. You get out of that into a good relationship, someone that actually cares about you, and you're celebrating, you're having fun, just like the Padres are doing. What is wrong with having fun in sports? What is wrong with celebrating? I I, I, I don't understand because if I go any louder here, I'm going to throw my computer. It just frustrates me how, like, we, no team can have fun because we praise Baker, we praise Rodgers, we praise Wilson, we praise LeBron, we praise KD, Boogie, or anybody else in the NBA or NFL. They can they can celebrate all they want. New Orleans wasn't necessarily uh, obviously the biggest market team, but you let them celebrate. So why is it different for the Padres? Why is it different for San Diego? Why is it different for Atlanta? Why can't they celebrate? Because when they were winning, when Atlanta was in that that, that great season in 2016. They were saying, no problem. But now that they were losing and now that they're starting to win again, it's a problem. So it's not about them winning. They just don't want them to have fun. That is just absolutely insane. We folks are privileged to be joined now by our man, Big B, Brandon Herrera from Coast to Coast. Uh, Brandon, obviously you've been uh, watching the show and obviously wanted to chime in about this exact story. I know that you're in the same boat. Being a you know being a Minnesota sports fan and really the only team there is the Lynx and they've won you know four WNBA championships. Of course, the Vikings were close. Twins haven't won since 1991. You know the Loons are kind of up and down right now in Major League Soccer. The Wild can't get out of the first round of the uh, NHL postseason. But Brandon, give us your thoughts more so about seeing the uh, remarks made by Molly Kiram, Stephen A. Smith, and also by Max Kellerman, basically throwing the entire cities of Milwaukee and Phoenix under the bus for you know being great finally and like hey be quiet no one cares. Yeah, it's. It's frustrating. I mean, I've heard, you know, I just tuned in just a quick second, just got off of work and heard Isaiah talking about that. And, you know, it's frustrating because, you know, if you're going to just, uh, you know, talk about the big markets, of course, everybody's going to want to go there because that's where everybody's talking about. You talk about the Lakers all the time. You talk about Dallas, you know, and name it. I mean, they're talking about them. The small market teams like, you know, the guys here in Minnesota, Milwaukee, uh, Cleveland. I mean, yeah, who's going to want to go there because they don't get the exposure? I mean, you guys are just nailing it all on the point. And, John, your comparison to relationships and how it goes, it's, it's right on. I mean, 
you know, and and having fun like the Padres. Sports are supposed to be fun, you know, and you're supposed to build chemistry and friendships, and you know, it all and it all starts in high school up to college to the pros. And I mean, you guys are nailing it right on the head that you know it's all about fun. You know, Padres are having fun; they're winning. You know, and people are getting upset about it, and I don't get why they are, but. Yeah, I mean, sports, you know, sports networks like, you know, you guys and then us at Coast to Coast, yeah, we focus on the, you know, women's sports because nobody talks about them, the smaller market teams because nobody talks about them. You know, we try to get them out there. So, yeah, I wish ESPN and all the bigger ones would start doing that too, just, you know, because why would people want to go to the smaller market teams if they're not going to get the exposure? Yeah, absolutely. And again, folks, we had Haley uh, Haley Scamora from the USA Women's National Hockey Team join the Sports Lounge uh, last uh, Tuesday night uh, here, and it was a great interview. If you folks haven't caught it, you can, of course, catch it via the podcast app or on Facebook. Uh, guys, plenty of thoughts, though, from the MI6 faithful, though. Uh, first and foremost, as uh, we already alluded to earlier, uh, Casey King says ESPN media, for the most part, are a bunch of idiots. Christy Wilson further agrees that first take needs to be canceled or just have those three idiots replaced. And I can uh, name three individuals <laughs> who can do a much better job on first take. And she says, referencing me, John, and Isaiah. And also, oh. uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Adam Barber also says, what's up, guys? Of course, Adam from Coast to Coast again. Brandon Herrera joining us here just to kind of come yeah. in here. John, I'll go back over to you, man, to add on one more uh, topic or one more point on this topic. It's funny because we talk about smart marketing. So what they don't get is, what if the Cardinals start winning next year? Yeah, Kyler Murray. You got DeAndre Hopkins. You got Emmanuel Sanders and JJ Watt. And finally, they're talking about the defense because Chandler Jones. Even though I talked about Chandler Jones for over a year, said he's the one, of the, the most, the best underrated de NFL defender for over a year. So I'm being consistent here. But the problem is, I don't know. It's small market teams, but at the same time, it's very confusing. Because once Arizona starts winning, they start celebrating. You got the swagger of Hopkins and Murray and Sanders. Then hardly anybody's criticizing them. So that's where it kind of fits this narrative. Of, it's partly small market teams. On the other side, what what are you trying to criticize? Because if Arizona's win next year in the NFL, nobody's having a problem. Uh, the Suns or the Bucks or Atlanta celebrating the NBA, then they get criticized. That's where like there's really not a fine line of what is. Or what is it? It's kind of like going to like that uniform school. Now you can't, you can't do this. You have to wear this uniform with this patch. I just don't understand where that fine line is. When is it okay to celebrate or when it's not? You know, and I think though, uh, as well, fellas, that, uh, you know, Brandon said a great point though, in regards though, to, I, I think all of us made great points though. But again, you know, at least for me, like I said, though, this has been brewing for a year because of seeing how the Padres were just trashed by every, you know, fan base, basically, mainly more so the neighbors up in Los Angeles for the entire season last year. And then, of course, the Padres, I think, basically said, you know what? Screw it. And they break out the swag chain. I know that you've seen it, Brandon. I know Isaiah's seen it. Yeah. I'll tell you what, guys, that swag chain has been so popular here that people have either sold it out at the team store. They have made their own to bring into Petco Park. And I think it's been by far one of the greatest things ever done. And uh, definitely getting Miami Hurricane football vibes with the turnover chain <laughs> being in San Diego with the Padres and, and well, things even like the, that. Even the Twins last year had, uh, every time somebody hit a home run, they come in and they would cover them with a, like a king's robe or something, you know, for the bomb squad, they called them. So, I mean, they're trying to have fun and people are just criticizing them. And like I've said, <laughs> though, Brandon, in a time that we're baseball – 
is at a crossroad, uh, crossroads. You know, I'm still a bit leery that there might be a lockout in 2022. And, you know, how do you not enjoy watching a pod, you know, watching the pod race play or the twins last season? We're in a day and age, like I said, though, we're in, we are in a day and age, John, uh, Brandon and Isaiah, where people are really turning away from baseball because the games are, are too long to watch. And, you know, yep. the All-Star game gets moved out of Atlanta and this is going wrong. But like I said, though, this Padre team is why you want to go to games, especially here in San Diego. We've had, you know, seven, you know, home games since we went back to full capacity. They've won all seven and the crowds have been probably their highest, probably I'd say since 2005, 2006, even better, probably their biggest since 98 when they went to the World Series. So, again, I, I don't get the disrespect. You know, it's total ignorance. And, and, you know, and like John said, though, but shame, though, on, you know, on on the first take for those very appalling remarks made uh, on uh, on Wednesday. And Christy Wilson says the Padres swag chain is the Padres version of the Rally Monkey up in Anaheim. Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of the Rally Monkey because of Jump Around by House of Pan. I know it gives Isaiah in the Bay Area some very bad vibes from 2002. But I mean, I, I get Miami Hurricane vibes. I kind of get, you know, Manny Machado putting his stamp on the ball club and things like that. But, but definitely, folks, again, I, I, we didn't mean for that to go like nearly half an hour. But again, like I said, this has been, you know, building frustration for me and my ball club in my city because, you know, we've been, you know, basically disrespected because, oh, you guys, you know, the Chargers left. Oh, how about the Clippers <laughs> or, you know, this and that's going on. And all of a sudden, hey, we're finally great. You know, I haven't seen the Padres this great in 23 years. Cool, Callan. Shut up. No one cares about San Diego. Go Dodgers. Go Angels. Go A's. You know, go Giants. You know, all this nonsense going on from, you know, so many people out there and things of that nature. With that, though, guys, we'll move over, though, to probably the one that will make John's head explode like, uh, John's head explode, head explode like a scanner. And more so, I think, will uh, also tick off Isaiah. But uh, per reports, though, guys, gather today, though, the Cavs are right now actively exploring a trade for Colin Sexton, per reports gathered from multiple sources today on this Thursday night. John, we'll start with you, because I know, man, that this is basically like the pit of the spirit, though, but certainly this would be a move, though, that I think that would probably, you know, raise the alarm in Cleveland and think, and think, and basically, I think for all Cavs fans, think, oh, no, here we go again. <laughs> Break out the shades. Speechless. <laughs> this is the first time I've been speechless. So this is how you know, folks, this is a serious topic. Like, I, the first 10 to 50 seconds. What I don't understand, get your head out of your butt. What in the heck are you doing here at Cleveland? You're making the Browns look like the best franchise in Cleveland. Not just in baseball, but also in basketball. I mean, how stupid do you have to be? You follow, I, yeah, I know the young core is taking a while to develop, but that's the biggest thing. If young core takes a while to develop, you trade away one of your younger guys. Then you trade Colin Sexton, your best player, who had multiple 30-point games this season, had a couple of 40-point games, is an all-star. You finally have a team that in the next couple of years could maybe be like the, that maybe be something in the NBA. And they're like, oh, no, why don't we trade our best player? You're becoming the Knicks of the NBA. What are you doing? I mean, my gosh, you have Colin Sexton. You had Kevin but you give him that disastrous contract. And now he's a part of our future plans. And what? 2K? One of the worst basketball video games of all time. The stupidity of thinking out of your butthole here. I just don't understand. Like, what, what do you think? What, what is your point? 
We're going to trade Colin Sexton for what? Oh, great. You got the third or fourth overall pick. What What did you do last time with the top picks after LeBron left? Kyrie went before that. To Boston. Oh, wait. That's a team we should, we should talk about more. What is your point in trading your best player on your team? How stupid do you have to be? You need to be drug tested immediately and everybody from the ownership to the social media team that's taking this seriously. You all deserve to be fired right now. I wouldn't feel bad. I don't understand. Like, what are you doing? You were a team not five years ago that came back and beat one, what was considered at least the greatest basketball team of all time, at least record wise. You came back three to one. Not even two and a half years after that. The Knicks are a playoff team. We're worse than the Knicks. We're worse than the 2013-2014 76ers. Can we name three elite starters on our team? No. Brandon Hurt. Big B could be a better player on that team. Isaiah could be. Callum could be. Um, Elves could be. I mean, Will Ferrell could be a better player. I mean, freak it out. Mr. Bean could be. The three Stooges would have a better starting three. The one we have with Cleveland right now. You had Garland, didn't you trade him? And you're, now you're trading. What do you think you're going to get Colin Sexton for? This isn't Madden 21. This isn't 2K where you can get a 76 overall player for like three first round picks. I mean, how stupid do you have to be to think your head exactly up your butt here? Because I don't care the visual representation. It is the dumbest move in sports I have ever seen. So you have a potential. And not just Colin Sexton, but this young team could be in the future. You could have Colin Sexton. I think you have another guy, the green light or whatever, another guy on your team. And you get the third or fourth overall pick to build this team moving forward. But no, you don't want to contend in three to four, potentially five years from now. You want to contend in the next 50 years. I mean, my kids will have kids before you freaking win another championship. We get back to the playoffs. And if, okay, I'll say this right here. If y'all trade Colin Sexton, I'm disowning my calves. I'm done because it's not just about trading him or what I like him as a player. It's decisions that are leading up into that point. Because if you can't handle it now when it's rough, this is like in a big gag. And I'll keep going to sound like Colin Coward. It's just like in the beginning of a marriage. That's the toughest point because you get through the honeymoon phase. If after you won, you got back to the finals, you just got married. You finally, you know what, for the first time. And then a couple months in, a year or two in, you finally get it finally gets real. That's what's been happening with the Cavs the past three and a half years. You're training Colin Six. I'm I'm sorry. Do we have another cause? The guy you're going to get potentially third or fourth overall. Is he guaranteed to be a starter? Is he guaranteed to be your, your one number one or number two back? Because basically, what you're saying right here with training Colin Six and somehow we're going to get enough in this third or fourth overall pick. And for me to talk basketball, that's how pissed off I am. The, for that guy, the next Colin Sexton, if not better, how many years of that contract for Kevin Love do y'all have left? Not the Knicks. Not the 08 Lions. Not the 017 Cleveland Browns. But the 2021 Cleveland Cavaliers are the dumbest franchise ever. The owner... The GM, the head coach, everybody, we need to call the Cleveland police because they have to be arrested for fraud. Because apparently the the guys that are supposed to be the organization have been missing for the past three to four years. 
Cal, you worked you work in basketball. You worked in the like Denzel Gates for the G League. We all know people that get in sports. I don't think anybody could disagree on this right now. This would be not just the dumbest move for the Cavs, but the dumbest move in the NBA, if not in recent NBA history. Let's say if you go, that would be like the Lakers trading LeBron right before, the year before they're going to win the championship. That would be like, let's say, oh, the Cavs trading Kyrie after the 2015 finals. That would be, let's say, Callan, like your, your, your team before the move out of San Diego or your ex team. That would be them trading Philip Rivers after LT won the, the uh, MVP in 2006. Right. That would be like, let, oh, let's say, the Bucks trading Leonard for now. That would be like the Bucks not extending Tom Brady. We could go for the next 50 nights. Isaiah would get married. Callum would get married. I would get married. Michael Jordan's great, great, great grandkids would get married first, and their kids would get married first, and their kids would get married first before we get back to the playoffs, before the team can run an organization. We understand it's a professional team, but at some point, you would think it's ran by a bunch of babies or toddlers. Because as toddlers, your brain is developing. Your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until you're 25. So it's like a lot of these guys are under 25 years old and they're running an organization out of their butt. I've seen terrible run companies before. I used to work at a certain security company that was terrible. I just don't understand. And there's no reason for me to say that because there's no logic in it. It's beyond stupid. Even Isaiah, for Isaiah to say, this is pure stupidity. We talk about, I don't know if y'all folks have played the old, I guess, who plays that anymore because EA Blackman email. Trade logic and it was stupid. I could get, I could trade 76 overall for almost two first round picks. That's the logic that the Cavs are thinking. How much do you think you're going to get for Consexton? Yes, he's a phenomenal player, but has he reached his full potential? Has he, if he led his team to the playoffs and potentially won maybe two games, even if he got swept out after that, I can see maybe you can get a lot more for him. But since you didn't make the playoffs here, since you didn't even make that game in or tournament play in game at all, how much you're gonna think you're gonna get for him, regardless of his potential? Because this team is not a good team. This team can't even make the playoffs. They can't make the play in tournament. Even Golden State this year, no Clay Thompson, no uh, all these other guys. And the guy who drafted last year was crap. And they would, they still at least made the play in tournament. I mean, my, the Hornets, I believe, made the play in tournament. But the Cavs, the Hornets. When's the last time we talked about the Hornets? Oh, wait, it's before I was worried. The last time we talked about <coughs> Hornets is when Blockbuster was relevant. The Hornets made the play-in tournament. The Golden State made the play-in tournament. I mean, even the Pelicans are a better team. So I just can't believe before my eyes, Callan, and I'm more mad about this in the Tom Herman thing, because Tom Herman's – we're not getting on that. This is the dumbest move, I would say, almost in – basketball history, at least recent, the past five, ten plus years. That would be like, imagine y'all counting, you have your team and I say you have your 25,000 teams and Brandon, you have your wrong team. I mean, your teams. That would be like, let's say Vikings back in the day trading Adrian Peterson or the Cardinals trading Larry Fitzgerald, their best player on their team up until this point. It just blows my mind, the pure stupidity that's coming from 
the organization's mouth. And whoever you are that's running the organization, you deserve to be fired. I have no respect for you as an owner or a GM or a head coach. It's like they weren't running an organization when LeBron was there. It's like it was the the Cleveland LeBron. That's basically what it was. It wasn't the Cavaliers. It was the LeBron team. But once LeBron was left, you got so adjusted to LeBron being there. Just like you get so adjusted with somebody doing all the work in the marriage that they want it's over. You're like, oh, crap, I probably should have done more. It's too late now. Even with people, Hallmark actors, that is a terrible movie. Be better, better than what you're doing now. I'm absolutely ashamed. I'm beyond pissed off. I don't know how stupid you had to be for an organization. Uh, fellas, in perspective, the top five worst records in NBA history, to John's point, though, about maybe the Cavs being the worst all time, the 2010 New Jersey Nets and the 19 or the, uh, the Nets when they were in New Jersey have the fifth worst record all time. They went 12 and 70. The 93 Mavericks and Denver Nuggets of 98 both are tied for fourth essentially, tied for third at 11 and 71. John was right, though. The two worst records all time belong to both of the, to the uh, 76ers. The 2016 team went 10 and 72. But the 1973 Sixers went nine and seventy-three. So the so John thinks that the 2021-2022 Cavs could probably go eight and seventy-four and become the NBA's worst franchise of all time. But Isaiah, I know that you're very high on Colin Sexton. We'll let you have the floor no uh, floor now, man. Uh, give us your thoughts on the Cavs actually shopping uh, Colin Sexton, perhaps for draft picks or maybe for the future, as they usually say in Cleveland. Well, first of all, let me say this. I'm not going to go as long as John did because that was, man, that was long. And John, I'm telling you, man, you should reconsider a career of uh, in sports media. You should be a preacher, man. That that I thought I was in church listening to a sermon right there. But about, you know, the Colin Sexton thing, let me say this. You know how uh, Callan and John, you guys said that I was going to be ticked off at this. I'm not even ticked off at all. I'm happy. I am so joyful right now that this news broke because this is the guy that I've been saying the Lakers need to go after. And if the Cavaliers stupidly trade him, the Los Angeles Lakers need to be on line one right now and offer a massive package to get Colin Sexton. The Lakers have been looking for a the Lakers have been looking for a third star ever to pair with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and to get a guy in Colin Sexton's stature who can, who is really good at shooting the mid range. He can get to the basket. He has great handles. He can, he's improving at shooting the three. Plus, he's only 22 years of age. He's on a rookie contract for, I believe, the next couple of years, which you could fit it easily in your salary cap. If you can trade, like, maybe your first round pick this year, maybe a first round pick next year, and, you know, Kyle Kuzma and someone else to get a guy and call in Sexton, i do it in a heartbeat and I think Colin Sexton, LeBron, and AD would be a hell of a trio for the Lakers. But on Cleveland's side, this would be the most stupidest trade in NBA history. I mean, if the Cavaliers make this trade, um, the Cavaliers, they should 
they should close Quicken Loans Arena or the NBA should close Quicken Loans Arena and force the Cavs to play without fans because that that how do you trade a guy in Colin Sexton who you drafted like two years ago? He's been rapidly improving year in and year out. He's getting better as a basketball player. The guy hasn't even come close to even scratching the surface of his ceiling yet. He's only 22 years of age. He is on a rookie contract. He's super cheap. How are you going to trade him instead of making him your uh, or building your team around him? It makes no sense whatsoever. It's the Cleveland Cavaliers being the Cavs. It's typical Cavs. So I don't expect anything less from the Cavs this this would just be a really stupid move for the Cavs if they do but hey if they do it the Lakers should definitely pounce and take advantage of it Brandon I don't know if you have anything else to add man because we heard from our resident Cavs fan on this program and John we heard from Isaiah but I don't know if there's much more to add though but certainly this I think though draws the ire of that Cleveland Cavalier fan base though of like you know this is like the last good player we have and you're really gonna try to move them for draft picks or for the future, as we said, though. <laughs> I think, though, that obviously that Dan Gilbert has had a, you know, very rough time in recent years. I think post-LeBron leaving the first time, yeah, they got the title in 2016 and things like that, though. But certainly, man, I, I don't know, though, how much longer, though, of that leash or how much more slack he's going to get, though, if they make this move, though. But, Brandon, if there's anything to add on, man, please add on. Man, there's really not. I mean, the one thing that, you know, you know, Isaiah, I know you're a big Laker fan, but, you know, at some point, the Lakers can't get everybody. I mean, there's only 12 guys to a roster, and they can't get every superstar possible. You know, it's not like the Dream Team. So, I mean, we all know that, you know, the phone's going to ring. Any franchise is going to pick up just to see what the other end is talking about. So we're not we're not dumb that you know people are calling about every superstar possible, but for the Cavs, I think John said it right. I mean, you know, he's your best guy. You need to build around him. You know, a couple years into the league and you're already kind of giving up on him. I think is you know wrong. I mean, the Timberwolves have made some bad moves in the recent years that make our head scratch. You know, since Joe Smith deal. And, you know, speaking of bad trades, Viking fans are still scratching their head about the Herschel Walker trade. So, but I'll say that, I, I, I don't have nothing more to add except the fact that the Lakers can't get everybody, Isaiah. I know you want them to, but they just can't get everybody. Yeah, sadly, <laughs> you have to think about those small market teams like Milwaukee and Phoenix and, you know, Orlando even and Charlotte, you know, teams like that for yep. sure. Christy Wilson agrees, though, if the Cavs do trade six, and it proves to me that the Cavs are run by the dumbest owner ever and Mr. Dan Gilbert, who also owns Rocket Mortgage, who, again, has the rights to the arena, which is actually Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, not Quicken Loans Arena. Uh, arena. We do, though, guys, uh, have some very uh, – have a uh, quick breaking news story. As we move towards baseball, fellas, some developing news and a breaking story. Per the network, the Cubs have combined to no-hit the yes. Los Angeles Dodgers, who now have lost their fifth, their uh, fourth straight game after being uh, swept by the Padres here in San Diego. Uh, Brandon, certainly, though, man, we know about June swoons, man, but certainly for the Dodgers, this is more like a, this is more like uh, hitting a brick wall. 
Yeah, it's tough. I mean, a lot of people had the Dodgers and Padres picked to go one, two. Uh, Dodgers are, you know, I, you know, I mean, baseball we know is a marathon, so they might. This might be their little hiccup right now. I don't think it'll last long, but yeah, it's tough to see. But hey, give it props to Chicago adding another no hitter to the season. That's what eight no hitters, seven that are recognized by Major League Baseball. The, the number's insane. And, folks, a quick clarification real quick here uh, that about this no-hitter. Now, first and foremost, folks, this breaking news story, again, the uh, the Cubs have combined the no-hit the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. 4 nothing. Chicago wins the game. They're now 42-33. and 33. They win the game 4 nothing. Four runs, eight hits, no errors for the, uh, for the Cubs. And the Dodgers held Hillis with one error in this game. Uh, Zach Davies actually started this game uh, for the uh, Cubs. Uh, his final line real quick. I just need to pull it up real quick here. My apologies. Um, uh, but for Davey, six innings, um, five walks, four strikeouts. Uh, Nick Tapera, one inning, one walk in this game. Uh, Andrew Chafin, also one inning, one walk. And then Craig Kimbrell, uh, one inning pitch, one walk, and three strikeouts. So the Cubs walk eight hitters, strikeout yeah. seven, and still, though, throw the combined no-hitter. We had another near no-hitter tonight uh, down in Tampa as the uh, Red Sox lost to the uh, Rays on a walk-off wild pitch, one nothing. Ooh. But again, this officially per uh, per the MLB.com uh, website and per the MLB app, uh, per the reports gathered, uh, that this is the uh, seventh no-hitter of the 2021 Seven. season. Again, not including that Madison Bumgarner seven-inning no-hitter, which I believe that was well, Brandon, was the last time the Diamondbacks won a game on yes. the road, my friend. Yes, that was the last time they won it. So... I know MLB doesn't consider that a no-hitter. What do you guys consider it? I think it is. I mean, if, uh, if you're going by the rules for the season and all doubleheaders are seven innings, that is a official game. That should be recognized as a no-hitter. Yep. This is a no-hitter. Like, apparently because it's the Dynamics and they suck massive monkey balls, it doesn't count as a no-hitter. Like, the rules only apply to certain teams. The rules are the rules for every single team. And especially yeah. in a year, though, again, Brandon, of where, you know, we're seeing, you know, we saw seven inning doubleheaders last season for COVID. We're seeing them again this yep. year. Who knows if they stick around beyond this season? But certainly, I, I think you got to count that as a no-hitter. I think you have to. Yeah, well, I can tell you right now, Coast to Coast Network, we count it as a no-hitter. So, it's a no-hitter in our books. I mean, my dad's so. been coaching baseball for almost 35 years, and he says, that's a no-hitter. I mean, who cares if it's a seven-inning yep. game, eight innings, nine innings? That's a no-hitter. Simple as that. Well, because the official game is what, five, five and a half innings? Five and a half. Okay, so it's an official game. So You got to get to the bottom half of the fifth for it to become an official game. Yeah, so to me, yeah, I don't know what MLB's thinking about that. So that's eight no-hitters, seven official, I guess, you want to go with that. So, And the record is what, eight? I think the record's the eight. The official record? So we got to okay, get a so, to break that record and kind of, you know, obviously. Oh, you know, we got it. Uh, that record's coming it. down. We're at the end of June. I think we're going to be okay, you know. And, and, and my, dad, <laughs> my dad's been coaching baseball, you know, 30, 35 years. And, you know, we actually talked about that actually when Bumgarner threw it. And he's like, why are they not counting as a no-hitter? I said, well, they're, they're not counting as it's a seven-inning game. He says, you know, screw that. That's a no-hitter. I mean, if, if you're yep. going by the rules for the season, it's a seven-inning seven no-hitter. <clears throat> it is what it is. But, again, folks, again, that breaking news story, again, the Cubs have thrown the – uh, officially the seventh no-hitter in Major League Baseball as they no-hit the Dodgers 4 nothing. Zach Davies and three other pitchers combined to no-hit the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine up in Los Angeles on this Thursday night. With that, guys, the NBA draft lottery was held as well before uh, prior to game one um, of the um, 
Eastern Conference Finals, or at least earlier in the week, though. And it's Adam Barber's Detroit Pistons winning the uh, draft lottery, followed up by the Rockets, the Cavs, and the Raptors, two, three, and four. John, biggest winner and biggest loser of the, of the uh, draft lottery is who? Well, the biggest loser is my Cavs. But I would have to say the <laughs> biggest winner, though, because obviously the biggest loser could see Trey Collins Sexton. We're not going to talk about the rest of that because that's another whole hour show. But if I had to pick, really, I guess I would say the biggest winner. <sighs> who would have first overall? Detroit. Detroit. I would say it would be Detroit. But at the same time, you could say how Detroit's like managed certain top picks in the past. You could say maybe it's not. But for now, I could say Golden State. I mean, I know like they got what a top six, seven pick. And so getting a top leader like that, you have uh, Steph coming back next. You got Clay and Draymond coming back. They're healthy, regardless of their age. They're healthy. And you get a top ten pick in there. And you have the top pick that you had last year, twenty twenty. That just sets them up for future success, even after uh, Steph potentially does leave. The Golden State Warriors. So, Brandon, uh, John's going to go uh, with uh, Detroit, it sounds like, for his winner of the uh, lottery. What say you? The biggest winner and loser of the, tra- of the uh, draft lottery is who? Man, that's that's tough because, I mean, you can look at the biggest loser being the Wolves because they lost that pick to Golden State, I believe it was, because of the trade right last year because it was not protected. But, again, I mean, you know, Golden State could be the winner because they get an- another first-round pick. Uh, Detroit – you know, it's 50-50 on them because, you know, they hold the golden ticket. What are they going to do with it? I mean, you know, the right team comes along. They could rebuild and, you know, dish that off to some veterans and hope, hope they can rebuild. Or they could take the can't-miss player that, you know, I don't know who it is right now. but Cade Cunningham you know, is so, going to go number one from Oklahoma State. Yeah, so, you know, is that going to be a good fit for them? I mean, Detroit's got a lot to work on, so... I would say right now, Golden State's probably your biggest winner, and possibly Wolves and Pistons might be, you know, tied for the biggest loser. Now, fellas, per Woj and ESPN sources, Cade Cunningham is only going to talk to one team on draft day or leading up to it. It's going to be Detroit. There, there's no other team that's going to talk to Cade Cunningham. I think, though, guys, that Brandon's right, though, that the Wolves are a big loser here because I think, though, Sally, with their feeble draft history, I'm sorry, Brandon, I hate to say it, though, but again, Johnny Flynn over Steph Curry, I think, is still like the one thing that still haunts Timberwolves fans, you know, to this day still about, you know, here we had a chance and we drop it. So I'm, yep. I'm definitely saying it's the Wolves again, because just because they have no luck when it comes to the draft, a lot of the draft in general, though. But guys, I'm going, you know, maybe with a off the wall pick here with my winner, the Houston Rockets, a team who is in huge disarray right now with them dealing away James Harden and how that franchise went down the tubes. And again, like I said, though, guys, back in November when we heard the rumblings of Harden wanting out and, you know, P.J. Tucker was irate, you know, Robert Covington was irate, you know, Eric, you know, Gordon was irate, things like that. And, of course, the Steven Silas hiring, where I said, guys, I remember going on here and saying when I heard that Silas had gotten hired, there's got to be more to this story than what we probably know. And I think for a way for this franchise to close that chapter, you know, of a, you know, disastrous season, rookie head coach, not a lot of star players on that team. Harden being dealt to Brooklyn. This begins hopefully a new chapter for that organization down in Houston. So again, that might be like that may not be the sexy pick, but certainly for a team though who needs to kind of land or spl- you know get that splash and rebuild that team back to where they once were over the the course of the past you know eight to ten years. 
I go with Houston being my winner, and also I go with uh, the, the Wolves, sadly, Brandon, being uh, the biggest loser of the uh, draft lottery. One more story, guys, in the NBA. Rick Carlisle, after his long tenure down in Dallas, is back to Indiana as the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Of course, the uh, Pacers blew out Nate Bjorkman following their very early uh, playoff exit. And uh, for that matter, for them not making or at least not getting through the play-in tournament uh, this season. Uh, John, I'll start with you on this one. Obviously, I remember saying, though, I think last week, bud, that Greg Popovich and Rick Carlisle were the two coaches I would never think I'd see coach another franchise because you, you think of their name, though, and you think that they're synonymous with the Spurs and with the consistent winning. And then with Carlisle, consistent winner. Yeah, one championship on his resume, but always getting the best out of his players and, and how him and Dirk had a great relationship and, you know, how, again, how he basically built that team plus Cuban, but how Rick Carlisle always had the Mavericks playing consistent, you know, 500 plus basketball being in the postseason very, very consistently. And I would, and he was the, one of the last guys I would ever imagine not coaching his ball club. Now he's going to go back to Indiana. I think with a very good young little nucleus right now with, with Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Miles Turner, Sabonis, and those three guys that obviously that this is a new chapter for the Pacers. And certainly I do, in fact, think that Rick's going to do some great things. So it may not be right away, though, but certainly he has the track record, though, that time in Dallas where he can probably get this ball club back up to respectable levels. But, John, your overall thoughts more so about Rick Carlisle, for one, leaving Dallas, but also as well going back to coach the Indiana Pacers. I can say for Pacers fans, be patient, but at the same time, I'm, I don't think you have – in my opinion, as much success as he did with Dallas, because having a, working with a guy like Mark Cuban, those guys don't come around that often, especially at the owner position. So when you have the Pacers, who is their owner? You have the Cavs, who's their owner? So yes, he, he has a learn on, and he's a phenomenal head coach, but you don't have a Mark Cuban-like guy with the Indian Pacers. So along with that, Pacers fans having to be patient, having an order where you may not have as great of a relationship, or relationship as you did with Mark Cuban, I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. Yes, I think the house subject says it could take some time. But with not having a guy like Mark Cuban to work with, I, I think it's it maybe could take a lot longer to see the potential, maybe potential potential of what he could potentially could do with the Pacers. Brandon, what do you think here? I think it's probably familiar territory for Rick going back to the Pacers, but certainly I think a ball club, though, who's been on the fringe. They've been close several times, though, with Paul George being there and you know, uh, Roy Hibbert being there. And, of course, they couldn't get over Miami or get past Cleveland. They would always fall round two, round three, though. But certainly, I think, though, with Carlisle being familiar with Indiana, with the ownership, with the fan base, and with the organization, certainly helps, though. But, again, I really like this young core. I love Sabonis. I hope he, I, I would just wish he could stay healthy. Miles Turner's turning out to be a very great, you know, player there. And also, uh, as well, with um, uh, Malcolm Brogan, a guy who's kind of, you know, bounced around from here and there. He certainly has found the home with the Pacers. He can shoot the, uh, shoot the three very well, though. Uh, Big B, your thoughts about Rick Carlisle going back to the Pacers, and what does this move, though, mainly in your mind, do for the Pacers going forward? Well, if the Pacers listen to him, I mean, anything's possible. Just look what happened to the Knicks this year with uh, Tibbs and, you know, turned around pretty quick to be a playoff team. So, yeah, they got a young team there. So if Carlisle can come in and they believe what he's saying and he adapts his system to the players they got, yeah, the Pacers, you know, might improve – this year might knock on the door of the playoffs. This year, coming up year, the next year they might get into the playoffs. So it's one of those things where the players have got to believe in their coach and the coaches got to believe in the players and the ownership to help them out. And 
you know, I think I think it'll work out for all parties involved. I'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't heard much about uh, the Spurs' uh, lady assistant coach. Uh, I thought she was going to be the big one to be uh, courted this year. Yeah, we're certainly hoping to see Becky Hammond getting on the sidelines. I know she went back with a second interview with uh, both her and Chauncey Billups for Portland. Maybe Dallas, oh, okay. could, be, uh, maybe Dallas could perhaps uh, come in there. I know that Terry Stotts is kind of right now leading the charge right now. Though I did hear, though, today, though, that Jason Kidd is rumored to be the main front runner now with the Mavericks and certainly with him playing down in yeah, Dallas. Yeah, I heard that, too. Um, so uh, that was for Woj today. So we'll see how things go, though. Obviously, a long way to go with the offseason. Again, still in the conference finals right now, but certainly yep. a lot of ground to cover. And certainly we'll keep an eye, though, on all of those moving pieces with the movement of coaches. With that, though, guys, we'll wrap things up with some baseball talk. B, we'll start with you, though, man. Of course, the uh, Dodgers and Padres re uh, re uh, uh, hooked up acquaintances uh, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and the Padres sweep the Dodgers for the first time in eight years since 2013, and the Padres never trailed at once or at all in the series. Though, oh. again, they beat the Dodgers on Monday, sweeped out a win on Tuesday, then also had a great uh, back-and-forth victory on Wednesday, and also Jake Cronenworth remains hot with homers in three straight games. And certainly, Brandon, I think, though, for the Padres, it was good, though, to obviously sweep, though, but, I, but again, though, Seeing that crowd at Petco Park, me and my dad went on Saturday to watch him play the Reds, though, back and forth. Hassan Kimmich, that, you know, pinch hit home run or, or that uh, home run to put them ahead, though. And again, Big B, like I said earlier, though, man, this type of atmosphere has not been felt here in San Diego. I'm going to say in 23 years since they went to the World Series in 98, because, again, I've not seen the ballpark at Petco this full of our own fans, you know, because I think, Brandon, you know very well, man, majority of the time here in San Diego, it's been Dodger fans. It's been Giants. Yep. It's been other opposing fans, and when they're not playing the Giants or the uh, or the uh, or the Dodgers, you know, it's a scattering of people that are coming out to the games. You know, that's when I could afford to go to Padre games back then. But certainly, this has not been felt in San Diego in 23 years, in 15 years, in 16 years, or whatever. You know, between 98, 05, and 06, this sort of thing has not been felt here. Minus when the Yankees would come in interleague play, or the Dodgers, or the Giants, or when the D-backs were very good in the early 2000s where you don't have those rival fans coming in and making this look like it's, you know, their ballpark 2.0. And certainly that as the series went on, though, Brandon, more and more Padre fans were coming out. And I remember those well, though, Brandon, when the Padres first put season seats out, and again, we had the capacity of, you know, 25%, 33%, though. I saw Padre fans on Twitter saying, hey, don't sell your seats to Dodger fans this year. We've got to, you know, make sure that our fans are there. And certainly... As this week went on, though, you know, it may be three games in June that are to the typical baseball fan, but certainly it's an uplifting three games because now, though, the Padres are not scared of the Dodgers, finally, after, you know, so long, finally took them, you know, their entire franchise history. And that maybe that they turn a corner, maybe doesn't work out, though, but certainly, though, Brandon, it's great, though, for me as a Padre fan and a baseball fan, seeing meaningful baseball played in this town. Because, you know, Gene Sayo had a very damning quote, though, when the Chargers beat the Steelers in 95. And I showed John the video of when, you know, 65,000 people came to Jack Murphy Stadium just to bring the team back home from Pittsburgh. And Gene Sayo, God bless his soul, you know, Mr. San Diego 2.0, he got on the mic and basically, you know, thanked the crowd and said, you know, you know, now the world's going to know about San Diego. They're going to know about San Diego, not as a beach town, not as a tourist destination, not about SeaWorld or the zoo or, you know, or in this case now with the craft beer, the world is going to know about our team. And I kind of feel like that that mantra kind of, you know, takes on a new thing, though, with the Padres is, you know, now baseball fans can see 
This isn't a sleepy little beach town in Southern California. This isn't, you know, a city that doesn't want anything to do with Los Angeles. This isn't a city that wants to, you know, associate with L.A. sports teams or L.A. in general. This is a city that wants you to know about their hometown ball club. The only hometown ball club left in Major League Baseball, in the NFL, the NBA, NHL, maybe Major League Soccer eventually. The NWS is coming. Yeah, I get that. But that the world, the baseball world, is finally, you know, taking notice about the San Diego Padres. Not about the city of San Diego being great with their Mexican food and the craft beer and the beaches and the seals and all this and that. The baseball world knows about the San Diego Padres at long last. But Brandon, your thoughts on the series, though, man. And uh, really, though, I think, though, I think if you're a casual fan like yourself as, a, as an outsider, though, how would you probably, I think, as an outsider, view this, you know, Padres-Dodgers, you know, series, again, where the Padres have won seven of the first ten games so far this season? Hey, I at the beginning of the year, I thought this series throughout the whole season was going to be huge because I thought, you know, Padres-Dodgers were going to be one-two and battling all year long. So it's living up to the hype right now. And like you said, Padres ain't scared of the Dodgers. You know, they swept them. They beaten them. They know they can do it. You know, it'd be nice if the, you know, to bring it home for a second, you know, the Twins, the Yankees. Twins are scared of the Yankees. They can't right. beat them. You know, I mean, they can beat them here in the regular season, but when it comes to crunch time, they can't beat them. So, I mean, I'm happy for San Diego. You know, like you said, it's been 20-plus years since they've had the hype and the crowd – yeah, it makes a big difference, you know, when it's ninety percent your guys, your your home fans, and only ten percent of visiting fans. Vice versa, yeah, it makes a big difference, you know, hearing you're you're at home and you're getting booed, and it's like, oh my god, we're getting booed at home. I mean, so and the home and the visiting teams getting cheered. So, props to San Diego and their fans. Enjoy it, embrace it. You're, I mean, they're the only act in town right now, like like you said. So, you know, live it. And build on it, have fun. I mean, because I know right now in Minnesota, we ain't having fun. <laughs> yeah. I, what's it been, Sally Brandon, like 20-plus playoff <clears throat> losses? What's it been for the Twins? Yeah, it's been uh, – yeah, I think I think we're pushing 19 or 20, most of them against the Yankees. I mean, so once we get that hurdle, we'll have fun here, and we're hoping that it be this year. But we've been hurt with the injury bug right now that it looks like we'll be sellers here probably within the next couple of weeks. Don't worry, Brandon. You got the links. Nafisa Collier's a stud. Yeah. I love watching her play, believe me. John, again, yeah, we got the links. Your... What was that, Brandon? Sorry. Yeah, we we got the links, and that's pretty sad. They've been in existence for, what, 15, 20 years, and they got the most championships right now. And again, a, you know, great teams led by, you know, Maya Moore, Sylvia Fout, Lindsey Whalen, you know, and obviously yep. Collier is part of that, you know, uh, revive of the uh, of the links, certainly. John, we know, of course, that you're not the biggest baseball fan, buddy, but certainly I know that you probably have a, you know, even you, though, probably would have a very small pecking interest in this Padres Dodgers series. Again, they won't play again until August, but certainly, though, you know, animosity, you know, two cities separated by 120 miles. You know, that really, I think that, you know, even though that the uh, Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts, said that this is not a rivalry, it certainly now has that feel, though, because of the bench-clearing melees we've had this season. We've had some trash talk. We've had some antics. We've had, you know, a lot of bad blood boiling over. And certainly now that the Padres, like I said, though, they are not scared now of the Dodgers. And this has not happened, I would say, since 2013, 2010, uh, 06, 05, 98, though, certainly. But, John, as someone, again, who's not really a big baseball fan, would this series and would this, you know, you know, would these 19 games 
kind of in a way they'll bring people like yourself, you're not big baseball fans, into watching the games like, hey, two great teams, you know, star talent, you know, they hate each other. There's bickering, there's bantering, there's antics, you know, there's fights, you know, there's stuff like that. Again, like I said, though, John, about like in the day and age of baseball, though, is this kind of like maybe in a way, though, a rivalry that maybe the game of baseball needs desperately because of all the off field and, you know, basically like off the field nonsense, we know, with TV issues, you know, with, um, you know, with, you know, losing the demographic of viewers because the games are too long. Is this a rivalry that basically could bring people into the game and maybe bring people back to the ballpark? Well, it should be. I mean, it definitely is. You definitely, because you have that pressure of potential lockout next year. Who doesn't love a rival? That's what baseball should be. I mean, I know I don't know much about baseball, but now you have a team that, like, you finally conquer that fear. You finally get over that hump. Yeah, that's exciting. Screw the Dodgers. Anything LA, I don't care about. I don't care about the Lakers. I don't care about the Dodgers. They can just go eat a bunch of uh, sriracha ice cream or whatever they want to do. But, man, it's really good to see. Even though I don't like San Diego because, again, I'm a Denver fan, so anything Denver or uh, that is definitely bad taste in my mouth. But it's oh, it's good to see a rival, teams that can actually make it fun because when it's always one-sided, I think baseball is like very eh. But get to see something that's not one-sided for once is great. People, When you say that, something that's counterproductive, oh, you're just being a hater, blah, blah, blah. No. It's good to see something that's different. It's good to see that it's both sides instead of just one or the other. It's good to see something different, and uh, hopefully San Diego can keep going. One quick thought, guys, from uh, Christy Wilson. She agrees with us that she hopes that Hammond gets the job with Portland, or at least gets a head coaching job soon. I think it's coming eventually at this time. Uh, Brandon, we'll go back to you, though, man. One final topic for the night, though, man, of course, is the ongoing uh, snafus. Uh, that have, of course, been the uh, new sticky substance uh, TSA-style checks made by the umpires. And I think it was mainly, I think, blown over in a huge way by Phillies manager Joe Girardi uh, the first day of this happening with the uh, Nationals and Max Scherzer, who was checked not once, not twice, three separate times in this ballgame. He literally almost wanted to strip down out of his pants because he wanted to show, like, I've got nothing on me, man. Sergio Romo, uh, Sergio Romo. Did the same thing with the uh, athletics playing the uh, the Rangers, and certainly I think though Brandon, though I agree though that maybe that nowadays like you know put that you know put the rule away you know if batters can have pine tar, let pitchers have spider tack or sunscreen or rosin or dirt you know whatever it is to get a better grip on the ball though, and certainly I think though that with Tyler Glass now kind of in a way blaming his injury on not using the sticky the sticky substances, this opens up man a very bad can of a can of worms in my mind, and certainly I really feel like though that this rule. Those should have been implemented, you know, for by the rules. It should have been, you know, in the rule book and should have been followed by, you know, for every game over the past, you know, over my lifetime, you know, 27 years. They could have waited till next season and not do it right now. I know, of course, that offense is struggling and there's, you know, massive strikeout numbers and spin rates are out of control. But but Big B, though, your, your overall thoughts were so about the blow up between Girardi and Scherzer. And again, we saw Girardi get kicked out of his game, though, but certainly I think it was, you know, I think it was, you know, very petty of him to do this, you know, three times, but also certainly... This could have been done, I think, over the offseason, my man. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, Girardi going after Scherzer, uh, he made a comment saying that he did, you know, he's watched Scherzer his whole career and he's never seen him go to his cap so much. That's why he did it. But I think uh, you definitely got to understand, you definitely got to do this in the offseason, come up with the outline. You can't do it midseason and change the game like that. I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, offense has been struggling a little bit. The pitch has been dominant. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say because it's 
not right. I mean, to m change the rules in the middle of the season, I mean, is it really the sticky substance? I mean, I know a lot of people have said there's been um, a lot of, what's it? Uh, spider um, attack. Yeah, spider attack, but uh, sunscreen and rosin was the big one that uh, a lot of people are saying that they're using. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. It should have been done in the off season and an outline going into next season. Because what was it, uh, four or five years ago, didn't uh, uh, Molina catch a ball with his uh, chest protector and it just stuck there? So it's it been around forever. Like, it literally looked like it was a bullseye. Yeah, exactly. So it's been around for a while, and I don't know why they're – uh, pick it on it. Pick it on it this year. I mean, that's kind of confusing to me. Certainly, and again, the timing is just very impeccable. But again, uh, once more, folks. But again, Joe Girardi, uh, very heated over Max Scherzer, <coughs> perhaps having a sticky substance, sticky substances on him. He was thrown out of the game earlier in the week, though, uh, due to again a Scherzer being checked three different times uh, during this game between the uh, the Nationals and the Phillies. With that, guys, we'll uh, wrap up for the night and go in and go on into tonight's final. Thoughts. If we can find our little thing, here we go. All right, gents, the cows are coming home finally on this Thursday night. We thank Brandon and John for staying up a little bit uh, past the uh, midnight hour in the uh, in the Midwest to uh, join us. A couple of quick announcements, folks, real quick. Uh, some very great news, though, to bring you folks here from the network itself. Uh, Fan Response will come back with you folks next Wednesday, featuring Isaiah Leung, Sammy Sharp, and Ryan Schreiner. Uh, start time is still to be announced. And also, WST is back on the air, folks, Monday and Wednesday at 6 o'clock p.m. with uh, our good man, Loro Antonio, hosting next Wednesday uh, evening and also I'll be off again next Tuesday uh, from the lounge as well, giving myself one more day or at least a day off again next Tuesday as well. With that, though, John, over to you, man, for your final thoughts for tonight's show. What do you got? I don't have a uh, say final thoughts. It would be an essay. Uh, <laughs> it's a good show. Just, just a lot of uh, very frustrations and then we get a two-year show coming up and so at this that would be uh it's gonna be cool it's gonna be a good show and uh we'll go from there if you hear anything about the Cavs, you'll know and you'll hear it from me and it'll be an emergency show on my personal facebook page uh certainly man certainly uh with that in mind uh big b go back over to you man your final thoughts for the night's program we thank you again for jumping in man what do you got for us yeah thanks for letting me jump on uh final thoughts is I think uh, the sports world needs to have more fun in all their sports. You know, I know NFL, they keep saying that it's the no fun league. And, you know, we need to go back to sports just being the casual event that we come and watch and enjoy and all that fun stuff. I know it's a business for these owners, but they got to look at the fans and let us have some fun. Let the players have some fun. And as Major League Baseball says, gents, let the kids play. With that in mind, folks, yes. again, as a reminder once more, Fan Response is back on air after a lengthy break, folks, next Wednesday with Isaiah, Sammy, and Ryan. And we're back on WST on Monday and Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time with Loro Antonio back in the saddle hosting on Wednesday night. We're back with you folks on Monday and Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern, back here inside of the MI6 Sports Network. With that, though, folks, for Isaiah Leung, John Alcorn, our man uh, Big B, Brandon Herrera from Coast to Coast, yours truly, Cal McClurg, saying goodnight here from San Diego. We'll see you folks back here, as mentioned, coming up over the weekend with the night shift and also again 
as uh, Fan Response returns, as mentioned, next uh, Wednesday. And again, WST is back with you folks on Monday and Wednesday as well, back uh, here on the MI6 Sports Network. Till next time, folks, good night and bye-bye. Pop knows, just hopping through all